welcome back to another episode of Tinfoil Hat. Tinfoil Hat. Come with me into the waters of conspiracy with Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. Mr. Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. With my friend Ryan Davis. Uh, hi, Ryan. We're like the first gay this couple of conspiracy theories. I think it's beautiful, man. I love their partner. What the fuck are you guys even talking about? Are you ready to get your mind blown? Revolution will be podcasted. Yes! Yes, and welcome to another Tinfoil Hat Podcast. I'm Sam Tripoli, and I have an all-new respect for DJ. The, uh, to work with a mask and run the ones and twos is not that easy. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, it's another fun, exciting episode of Punch Drunk. Oh, excuse me, tinfoil hat. <laughs> nah, I should I should edit that out, but you know we'll go for it. <laughs> Joining me, he's a young Christian warrior. He comes to fight. He, he fights, fights for love. love. The most off the grid motherfucker you'll ever meet in your life, Ryan Davis. Everybody, that's me. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great. Are you kidding me? Uh, I got a couple shout-outs real quick. Chris G., I hope you're feeling better. And Lasagna's mom, you know who you are. I'm hoping that you're doing great today. Uh, a big shout-out to uh, Black Pussy, the band who came out, big fans of the show, came to the comedy store to rock out and uh, hang out. Guys, go to uh, Spotify, put in Black Pussy, or go to, maybe if you want to help out art, why don't you go and... Uh, Go to iTunes and just buy their albums. There you go. Support. Support. They rocked. They came. We had a good time. And we, they rocked the Vibe Room, then came down to the Comedy Store and hung out. Guys, I am going to be at the Philly Punchline all this week. Excuse me, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Come out to Philly Punchline. Go to Philly. Go to uh, punchlinephilly.com and grab your tickets now. I'm totally excited. I have some great dates coming up real quick. We have, uh, I'm going to be uh, Comedy Chaos in the main room of the Comedy Store. Uh, killer lineup, Chris D'Elia, Tom Segura. Uh, who else is on there? It's a fucking killer lineup. Uh, Jeff Dye. Uh, Sickler. Ryan Sickler. The lineup is stacked. Comedy Store, thecomedystore.com. Grab your tickets now. That show will sell out. Always does. Always does. Guys, speaking of selling out. Our T-shirts are rocking right now. Our T-shirts are rocking. Guys, we have the tinfoil hat T-shirts. Go to allcomedytshirts.com. Uh, we got the, the, the classic tinfoil hat that I'm rocking right now. And by popular request, by popular request, one female listener asked for a black version, the, the white on black, uh, smoke weed, eat pussy, hell, Satan t-shirt so you can get them both in white and black now and of course the woke prince stevie weeby t-shirts are available you guys are buying them guys buy the shirts take pictures of them send them to them and we will post them to our instagram guys go to soundcloud and uh find us on soundcloud tinfoil hat with sam tripoli uh you guys are listening our numbers are up and we're very thankful for you guys for being here and of course you have the Twitter, 
which is growing every day uh, at Mad Hatter 39ers. Go check that out. And then, of course, our Instagram, which is getting better and better. It's the Instagram. It is Tinfoil Hat Pod. And we're over, like, what? We're almost 1,500 people following us on that. So, yeah, big things coming on. Real quick, I forgot to do these dates. September 8th, the Naughty Show is at Harvell's in Los Angeles, in Long Beach. Go to uh, HarvellsLB.com. The Ranta Tours with Jason Ellis, Mike Carlwood from Love Lines. Uh, I mean, Ryan Sickler's on that one, Jackie Fabulous. Josh Denny from Food Network, all going to be there at Molly Malone's on September 10th. So that is it. And again, get follow us on Instagram. And now, sitting patiently like a young G, uh, here joining us, uh, who's our guest for today's show? All right. Today's guest is one of the world's leading figures in historical Western occultism. His work is the exploration of evidence-based Western magical worldview that combines history, paranormal, studies, ufology, and the best available scientific research. It is an honor and a privilege to introduce the fascinating author of three profound books and the host of the very thought-provoking thought podcast, Rune Soup, the very talented and inspiring Gordon White. Gordon White, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Gordon, what time is it where you are at, my friend? It's just gone 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Thank you for getting up. I hope you had your tea. Thank you for listening. That's all good. Uh, Gordon, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Gordon, tell us a little bit, a bit uh, uh, tell us our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, uh, I mean, I was, I'm back in Australia now. I was born and raised in Australia and have sort of lived in New Zealand and the UK. Uh, I, before I started doing this full time, I had a background in, uh, in media, particularly to do with demography and, and data analytics. So that kind of mindset has, has uh, been brought over into, you know, uh, magic and, and its history and its practice and so on. So amazing. You're into such incredible stuff like UFOlogy uh, and paranormal studies. How did you get into all this? How did it's a good question. I mean, uh, Typically, when if people are in any of these fields for long enough, uh, they all tend to blend or meet in the middle. So uh, if you do ufology correctly for a while, you end up kind of leaving behind a nuts and bolts view and, and kind of realizing that you're in, in kind of a bizarre universe. Uh, for me, I went down the magic route instead, so the actual practice of magic and, and so on. And, and eventually you get to a point where you realize there needs to be a better metaphysics or a, or a more new one's metaphysics to account for things that you kind of see coming down other roads, be they conspiracy or ufology or so on. And, and you kind of, you reach a point where you uh, can only but say we're dealing in a, um, a blind man and the elephant situation. And for me, it was magic. And I have no idea quite why uh, that happened. I sort of woke up one Saturday morning when I was about 13, well, when I was exactly 13, and uh, realized I'd had some kind of interesting dream experiences, which I can't remember. And uh, I was fortunate enough to live in a part of regional Australia where there was a reasonably good uh, secondhand bookstore, an independent bookstore. So I stole some money from my parents and, <laughs> and walked the sort of four miles down the road and, and bought some magic books and a packet of cigarettes and uh, sat in the grandstand of a nearby oval. And, and it was really off to the races after that. I love it. Now, I, I, you touched on something that I find so interesting. 
and I'm I'm in the exact same way in that since Ryan and I started doing this podcast, my view of what's going on in the world has expanded so much, and it's really let me. There are so much insane shit going on right now that it's it's not just one thing. It's a ton of things all going on at one time that people don't even know. Everybody thinks everything's so simple and, and primal, and there's so much interdimensional stuff, uh, uh, UFOlogy, paranormal. That I believe in all this, it, like this insane alternative theater that is going on. That is, it's really mind blowing, and it's actually quite inspiring. Yeah, I think so. I think it's much more interesting to live in a haunted universe than a materialistic one. So, I totally agree. Uh, I, you know, uh, and you use the word alternative there, Sam, and I'm not sure if that's correct, just in the sense that for all of human history, apart from the previous, shall we say, 150 years, that's been normal for everyone, and it's still normal for approximately 90% of the world's population. This idea, this kind of dickish idea that the only thing... Uh, real is that which is um, physically observable by science is is a is a minor hijack of a minority of the world's population everyone else is uh, not stupid enough to fall for it okay so, so what, um, what would the word be and which I'm totally cool with what is it paranormal I mean is a paranormal well I, interestingly all the language we use to talk about this stuff uh, emerges from that hijack from the sort of mid 19th century um, materialist premise so even with words like paranormal that suggests it's beside normal okay uh, and I've had I've had dr. Jeff Kripal on the show a couple of times and his most recent book at least in this field uh, is called the supernatural and his point is we're embedded in its world, it's not embedded in ours. And so if we look at words like super or para, above or beside, it, it suggests that you, it's still contained in that description, the idea that the material or the observable is the normal and this stuff is outside. It's not correct. And that's not correct if you look anywhere in sort of non-Western or non-materialist cultures. So even at the very beginning uh, of having the discussion, we, we sort of have to do so with one hand tied behind our backs because the words that we use in the English language totally to begin to formulate it yes. are, are not correct or yes. insufficient for the job. The, the, the background or the basis in which we are coming from is itself incorrect. Is that what you're saying? So, yeah, you, you know, we're starting off on of the wrong hijack. foot. Yes. Yes, exactly. It still emerges out of that same hijack. And there aren't... Uh, that means, frankly, that means there's a lot of work to do. Put it that way. There's I a lot of work it. to do in, in changing your thinking, and, and well, not just yours specifically, um, uh, Sam. No, but, mine for sure. And, mine yeah. for sure. <laughs> but there's a lot of work in uh, thinking about how we think about it, even before we think about it. That's amazing. Now, your YouTube channel is YouTube.com/backslash/Gordon. NZ guys, everything he's talking about is available on the channel. It's a wonderful channel. Ryan and I were checking it out earlier as we ate chicken kebab and we were having a great time. Um, Ryan, uh, thoughts? Well, Rune Soup, if we can get into it, your podcast, it's it's amazing. Uh, the guests you have on, the wide swath of topics you cover, it's in a in a sense that you're one of the jewels in the whole fringe topic crown if you will we're we're blessed to be a part of your crew of people that are investigating these very out there type of you know stuff that's just you don't talk about you know and yeah it's a, yeah that's really kind yeah and, what, what what did we decide on a word for this 
mm-hmm. uh, an, an expiration of uh, uh, ex- expression of what we're what we're talking about. Yeah, we come up with this all the time when we try to get guests. We like, do we want to use conspiracy? Do we want to use fringe? Do we want to use paranormal? I like do we just want to say open skeptics. Can we say that spiritual skeptics? Sounds all right. <laughs> no, I, I'm into it. Go so, on. So, how long yeah. is Rune Soup uh, for those? I'm hoping more of our listeners will now know about you. I've known about you for a long time now. I'm just wondering if you could just give them a little bit of information about your podcast in general and how it came about. Sure. Well, the podcast emerged out of a blog. So I've been, uh, Rune Soup has been around for almost 10 years, I suppose. I, I started it, uh, I had some time on my hands when I got made dis- uh, redundant by Discovery Channel in London in 2008. And uh, thought, oh, well, I'll just I'll just start this blog. And uh, and it kind of, it grew from there. So it's, it, it, it's still principally about magic and, and specifically chaos magic. But again, as we sort of discussed, if you talk about magic in a coherent way, you're talking about everything, right? right. So uh, it, it, that's where it was for most of the time. And a bit coming up on two years ago, I started a podcast. And the reason for that, having grown up in regional Australia and reading all these books by particularly in the chaos sense, mostly English uh, magicians and writers, I couldn't get my head around the idea that these people might be real. And I've, I've met basically all of the ones that are still alive uh, now anyway, so they are. And the, the show is a kind of time-traveling love letter to uh, 14-year-old Gordon because uh, <laughs> I was I was really fortunate, you know, eight years in London meant that I got to be in the in the heart of this sort of magical thing, but I, that's not the case for most people in this field. So it's kind of a uh, an opportunity for people to have those discussions if they aren't, or at the time I'm not now, I don't live in London anymore, but if they aren't in a situation where you can find the others in a physical sense, you can at least have those conversations. And, and in my sense, I wanted to turn a lot of these people whose work I admire into humans because they just seem like this really abstract and, and um, impressive, but also slightly terrifying notion. So I wanted to turn them into humans uh, along the way. And that's really been it. And it's obviously struck a chord. I mean, it, it uh, I just kind of, it's it feels like a ruse. I'm sure you guys understand. Like you think, is this a scam? Because yeah. I just kind of I just kind of email people whose work I like, and then most of them say, yeah, all right. And then it all of a sudden, weird. I'm talking it to people weird. whose work I really really like, and go, this is fantastic. I just did a buddy of mine's uh, podcast called The Ripple Effect, and he's a wonderful dude. And uh, I, he listed all these amazing people that he had on a podcast, and I was like, this is this is a guy who just for the love of what he wants to do, he does construction during the day, and he just has this passion for this podcast. And he's gotten some amazing people on this show, and it's just like people want to talk. People want to be interviewed. They want to express their views, and they want uh, an audience to find it, which is great. How would you come up with the name uh, and, and guys, check out the Ripple Effect. I was on it. It's a wonderful podcast. Uh, how'd you come up with the name Rune Soup? Uh, it just—it was just in my head. Uh, what does it mean? I don't know. Does it mean anything? It does. Uh, it has—it has sort of multiple layers. On one level, it's just kind of cute, so that it's supposed to be like alphabet soup, but to do with magic. Uh, but on a wider level, it, um, if you look at what the word rune actually means, like if you look at its etymology, it, you're essentially dealing with um, uh, a soup of signs. In a, it's like a semiotic soup, right? But uh, rune soup has that extra kind of comedic layer of being uh, alphabet soup, but with uh, the rune. So it's that kind of idea that when you're navigating these spaces or attempting to, 
you're in you're in a soup of signs like and 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 trust them as much as you can and as little as possible and and deal with the fact that uh, these phenomena are polyvalent and have different modes of interpretation depending on where you are and where they are and and so on so it was kind of a it's a trick it's it's initially funny but it's also surprisingly complex if you uh if you think about I it i love that i love that now when ryan uh, expressed that he wanted to get you on the show and we would kind of start doing research on you the the phrase the term the the title uh chaos magic came out and that's such an amazing term uh title explain to us and particularly me uh the guy who flunked first grade what is chaos magic well, chaos magic is a, uh, a, I guess, a British expression of um, esotericism, occultism that happened in the 80s. There's a lot of sort of, I guess, inside baseball, to use Alex from Skeptico's term, um, around the beginning of the story. Basically, the, 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 the occult world coming out of the 70s and into the 80s in uh, the UK was quite moribund. You, you sort of have your... Um, magical orders that were either defunct or arguing amongst themselves about lineage, so OTO and Golden Dawn and so on. And there was this group of um, magicians initially in the north of England and then in the north of London that were um, working together and, and sort of realizing, well, maybe you don't need all this sort of ridiculous astrological stuff and titles and, and so on, and let's just have a crack at it. And uh, and they did, and so they formed some like you know groups practicing uh, and, and really trying to strip down in a systemic way, uh, what the actual mechanics of, of the practice of magic are. And uh, at the time, I don't know if you remember, but James Glaick's book, Chaos, which is about chaos mathematics, which is very big in the mid-80s, came out. And because a, a number of the people who are around the formation of chaos magic uh, have a science background, they'd all read the book. And that sort of new model of the universe um, with its probabilistic perspective was quite a good match for uh, what they were thinking about. So honestly, they just kind of picked it out of the air. It's like, well, it's chaos magic, uh, chaos mathematics. This makes sense to us. Unfortunately, well, not maybe unfortunately, but because the word chaos is so emotive, it's been used in other stuff like tabletop gaming and, and so on. Uh, and so people, it maybe initially had a, uh, a scarier reputation than was potentially deserved. Now, you had talked about London and it's being the center of magic. Is London special to magic? Is there something about London that has a special place for magic and the history of magic? Yeah, it does. Um, that it's, you know, um, that answer requires sort of multiple layers on a purely practical one, uh, particularly given the 19th century um, Golden Dawn, Aleister Crowley kind of stuff heading into the early 20th century. It's a capital of the world and it's a capital of the largest empire the world's ever seen. So what tends to happen when you have that influx of ideas from the edge of empire, including the sort of uh, appropriation rather than discovery of Hindu concepts and all of these things uh, and um, the beginnings of archaeology and anthropology, so going out into the Near East and digging up parts of Babylon and, and all this kind of stuff was happening in London. And in fact, a lot of the Golden Dawn magicians were, well, several of them worked for the British Museum and other ones just kind of hung out there. So it, it was in this very imperial soup that different ideas and concepts started to come together. Yeah. So on a, on a practical basis, uh, this last 150 years of magic uh, 
could only have sort of been born in, in that particular city. But as for London's magic itself, it clearly has some of them. It clearly has, it clearly is a, uh, a spirit that quite likes um, running things. That's ve- oh, so, 100% city of London, all that stuff. There's some yeah. interest and we're going to get into the Royal family and all that stuff right there. A uh, couple of your books. You want to get into this? Yeah. For those that uh, are uninitiated into this, um, into your works, how would you describe starships? Starships is well. Uh, so I have uh, a, a sort of long-running interest in Atlantology, right? So stories from before the end of the Ice Age and floods and and all that kind of stuff. One of the more transformative books, and it's probably the same for a lot of people listening, that uh, I read as a kid uh, was Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock, for instance. Uh, and so it's always been in my head that the um, we arbitrarily, and it's another one, part of that imperial hijack date quote-unquote civilization at least we did until um the last 30 years from 3500 bc with the um beginning of writing in sumo but obviously humans are however many million years old we are as as modern organisms so you're kind of at the very 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 end of that story and and the rest of it's more or less dark because archaeology and anthropology (laughs) initially is constructed around physical and textual evidence so you use infinite loop yeah uh and what what's emerged over the last 30 years, and in particular maybe in the last 15, is uh, that notion of the um, Neolithic and Paleolithic as being a nasty, brutish, and short existence is not at all correct. Like, um, you know, they 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 had a very sophisticated uh, herb law. They're using entheogens. They're building all these. I mean, the book begins discussing Gobekli Tepe, which I'll mention in a minute. But what appears to be the case is that given that their brains were the same size as ours or even slightly larger, those same questions and that same experience about what's the point of life and how we interact with the wider universe and so on has been a uh, very long-running, it is the sort of defining human trait as far as I'm concerned. So typically when you study or if you get into that sort of esoteric Atlantis world, people look back into the past for the answer. Um you should look back into the past for the question. I find the question more enriching. The idea that 30,000 years ago, uh, you you have cavemen essentially doing the same thing. What's it all about? And and how do we interact in, in a wider universe sense? And as a result of sort of exploring the new uh, genetic and archaeological evidence that supports this, uh, it became apparent that a lot of the spirits that you find in the sort of Northwest European magical tradition are much, much older than we thought, like much older than we thought, uh-huh. 20,000 years, 30,000 years, so on. So it's a sort of a, a, a history of the spirits of the uh, Western tradition. No, I, I, and, you know, just to follow up on our last week's episode, which everyone really loved, where we explored Hinduism and stuff like that, it's like we are kind of coming to the understanding that, you know, there have been many civilizations over time and that there's been something that resets us and we start all over and that people a long time ago, maybe they didn't have iPhones and all the Internet, but they had a very uh, advanced culture and maybe more advanced than we have right now. Maybe it's more spiritual than it is uh, me holding this phone right here in front of you. But there's a definitely uh, uh, some deep thinkers from way back in the day and that, you know, they weren't just cavemen drawing like stick figures on on walls, but they were actually very advanced. They were. And the 
again, this comes back to that's a, one of the many problematic C words we can use on a show, right? Civilization, because we do define it. It's almost uh, too restrictive a term because it comes with notions of urban plumbing and, and so on. And I'm not sure how useful that is when you're talking about the long term, particularly because it forces you to use technological complexity as a yardstick. And that isn't that's not actually where most people derive the most joy today. Like they, they probably were effectively smarter than us. And, uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you're aware that when, um, Picasso went into, I think it was Lascaux cave. It was one of them and, and saw the paintings. He came back up and said, we've discovered nothing, uh, in, in the 30,000 years. And it's true. If you look at some of the art on these things, you go, that's, it's astounding. Right. So they managed to do that without fucking the planet. They managed to do that without and, and these devices, these surveillance devices that you stare at for nine hours a day, making yourself depressed. Like, Hmm. Are we better than that? Yeah. Or, like, are we better than them or are we worse than them? Like, think about it. It is. It's very interesting. You also had another book called The Chaos Protocol. Um, what is what does it cover? Chaos Protocols is a, if, if people are kind of new and um, interested in maybe how magic and the esoteric and what have you would operate in a modern world, um, that's the first book to start with. That's the, the best one to start with. And was it, it essentially, what did you just say? I'm sorry. I'm just, can you say that one more time? It- yeah, 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 sure. So if, if you're listening to this and you're kind of interested in how uh, magic and the esoteric may work in your life in the modern world, that's the book to start with. And it sort of emerged from the realization that uh, we are in a, uh, a, a one of the most, if not more significant than the Industrial Revolution, we're in another significant transition phase economically and, and whatever speaking. Yes. And too much, too much of the magic that people rely on is... Uh, is not up to the task. So Chaos Protocols is about how you use magic in a world undergoing the changes we're currently experiencing. So it's uh, it's it's that, essentially. Wow. So interesting. I love it, dude. I love it. I love it. And you had another book, Pieces of Eight. Uh, what has survived over the many uh, decades? What, what's the book about? What survived uh, through the years? Um, Pieces of Eight is kind of, it's a difficult way, like Pieces of Eight is a chaos magic book. So if you know chaos magic, uh, start with that one or at least read that one. Um, it's It became apparent since the 80s to, I guess it came out last year, that uh, chaos magic um, needed, a, I guess, a counter-reformation. Uh, it it, it's maybe gone off and got, and I did as well. Like this is what happened in the nineties. We got caught in this sort of digital utopianism and the future would be some sort of dial up IRC digital covens and, and yeah. all this. And it's, it turned out to, I mean, it's a military surveillance platform. Like 100%. If, if, it's not, it's not the future. The future is post digital. And it was about looking at the core principles of chaos magic oh, that's that emerged in the eighties and said, well, let's, let's revisit some of them because it spent 20 years being, Particularly once it hit the U.S. Uh, and and outside of its um, sort of uh, initial context, which is fine, but uh, it became associated in the early internet days with you can do anything, uh, which wasn't really the point. So can you swap a wand for a plastic Jafar statue from the Aladdin films, and and will that work um, as well? And and that became well, you can just use this, and that's not what they were doing. Like the in- original chaos magicians were systematically 
working through the kind of technology of magic to see which bits you did need and which bits you didn't and which bits can be optimized. It's different to say you can do anything. Uh, you can use anything to do anything is not correct. Yeah. So uh, that was the book was um, kind of like throwing that into chaos magic discussions. That's and it's been really popular. So interesting. So you think that the future is where we get off our phones and off our computers and in a weird way, almost go back to what it was before the Internet and all that stuff. I, well, there is no going back, and I, I like, neo-primitivism and all that kind of stuff is is sort of idiotic. Um, <laughs> but that's why I call it post-digital um, or a return to the analog. It doesn't mean we all kind of start, we we you know go up into the attic and get the loom and and bring it down and dust it off and start you know weaving. Uh, but it does mean that the future. If you look at the 20 years up until maybe 2008, the idea was that the future was digital, like of everything. Yeah. Everything. My dad used so, to be well, like, learn computer skills, that's the future. All yeah, the and that turned out to not be correct. Yeah, now, here it we really are, here is. We these, um, these amazing devices, I mean, we're using them now. Uh, and if the, if the trajectory isn't more and more digital, it's more and more real life. Um, how do we what is the appropriate way of having these platforms and tools in our lives rather than having them be our future? So it's that. And I, I don't have the answer for that because, you know, we're only 18 months into the process of realizing it's pretty shit on the internet at the moment. It's gross. And I, I'm glad it's not the future. So I agree with you, how man. How do you incorporate that into, like, where where is the authentic and where is the analog? And I think people are feeling that without... Um, Without sufficiently describing it, if you look at the the tools that are popular platform-wise for younger generations, they don't use Facebook because it's filled with parents. It's basically LinkedIn to them, right? Right. Um, they don't really use Twitter so much, but if you look at things like Snapchat and, and the stuff that's coming before it, Snapchat's ephemeral. Like, if you aren't there for the moment, you don't get it. Right. So in a weird way, that's that's what a um, a generation who's, who's who only knows the internet, like they are born post-internet, that's the beginnings of discovering that if you're not there for an event, so it's time-based authenticity, you don't get it. And so it's this beginning of a, of a culture sort of discovering that actually real things are probably better than the digital uh, or at least make your life taste better. And I don't know what the mix of using Tangible platforms is yeah. more important than digital. And, or just experiential. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and how you incorporate that and, and what the appropriate use of the – um, these surveillance platforms are, and I think they're I think they're useful in a find the others sense as long as you kind of find the others and and move those others into the analog. Uh, it seems to be a best practice trajectory, but it's it's fascinating cultural times. This is sort of what I mean and why Chaos Protocols came out when it did. Um, this is a technological change that is. Um, how to describe this? It's a profound technological change that also you need to. Um, keep it, <laughs> keep at a distance, and I, I don't know how else to describe it other than that. So it's it's a much more complicated uh, journey into um, the real and the use of technology, and so on. And, and much of that thinking emerges from um, Chaos Protocols when, and Starships. Uh, real quick, the that you know you brought up that like the internet's kind of shit, and it's very interesting because a word I would describe it as it's in chaos right now. It's really chaos, and I don't know in Australia and in England. The effects. I, I feel like this Donald Trump thing, I don't know how much of it's theater. I think a lot of it's theater. And I, I don't know how much of it is authentic. 
but it just seems like we are in this place where it's like, okay, we're being flooded with false information on both sides, uh, a very uh, 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 astroturfing. There's a lot of astroturfing going on with fake profiles, starting fake rage, and all this, like, chaos going on uh, but is that chaos sam that that i agree with you but i think that's by design i think it is the, by design it, but it's chaos in terms of the, who it is being unleashed on in terms oh, yeah, of like the, the puppet masters it's all theater and it's all scripted but to the people who are consuming the the theater it is chaos i mean you don't know what to trust you don't know what is real what is not real and you know, basically like kind of when, you know, America, you know, I'll just do it from American history. You know, when we first colonized, took, you know, took over from the Indians, the Native Americans, and it was the Wild West over here where there were shootouts and saloons and everything was crazy until there was this moment of order. Do you think we get through this and then there, there's more of an order to it or is it just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse? No, I think uh, so. I run. I have a weekly um, geopolitical, parapolitical newsletter called the All Red Line. In the last couple of weeks, I've sort of been telling people like reduce as much as possible your exposure to social media because it it it's making your ability to think worse rather than better. Like it's 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 worse for you. Um, you, and weirdly, this kind of realization emerged from doing a weekly uh, parapolitical newsletter because I kind of have an opportunity to put it in a box until Friday morning. And so I get uh, I get that toxic um, sludge washed over me only once a week rather than nine hours a day, which is what people are doing. And that's by design. We know that um, DARPA spent, you know, millions trying to work out how to affect people's emotions by altering what shows up in their Facebook newsfeed and so on. And you're looking at it now dialed up to 11, and it is reducing people's uh, ability to think and form opinions. So it's actually worse. You're stressing your amygdala, uh, and that makes decision-making more difficult, and that can only be by design. Like, yeah. uh, it's... It, it, that's what it is. I think if my background with digital and social media means I can tell you 100% that it's very easy to... Um, sort of set at 1.2 the word Nazi so that the only tweets that show up in your um, tweet feed have the word Nazi in it, better or, better or worse. But that means every time you look at it, this is the only thing you see. I, uh, it's so interesting. I was going to get into this after we talked to you, but like, there's a real, real movement here done by a very powerful group of people in this country to cause complete again chaos racial tension fighting you know this thing that went in in charlestonville like is it theater there's a lot of thought that there's a lot of theater aaron is laughing at this right now but aaron i'm watching i'm laughing at how you butchered charlottesville into charlestonville <laughs> what did i do charlottesville okay 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 dude i never said i was smart i'm trying my hardest here okay so the whole thing is like you see these uh, these uh, these titles of these blogs these articles uh oh uh, liberals using violence to peace and it's almost like they're begging you to cause violence and that these these people with these blue checks on their by their names on Twitter, these power elitists who may get a lot of money to tweet and bring you to news like Rachel Maddow's thirty thousand dollars a day, who like stir the pot, but never ever will ever feel the effects of what she's. Uh, talking about the, what she's trying to cause out there, which is racial tension between 
poor whites and middle class whites and poor and middle class ethnics. And there's like everybody's going at each other, but the people telling you to do it will never actually feel it. They will never feel getting locked up and arrested for causing violence at a march. Uh, they won't have the criminal record uh, that will be uh, uh, tagged to you for doing all this stuff that will directly affect your way of life from there. And, and it's it's really sad. And then, you know, you bring up the Nazis and stuff like that. That's a really big thing. Like right now in this country, they are trying to associate freedom of speech with Nazis. Like you see it happen all the time. And I think with the... Um it's become apparent, like, so maybe there are, and obviously there are in some sense, um, two things are going on. One, it's almost like if you could remove all the hijacking from it, something quite good is happening, which is uh, a culture is reconsidering and re-looking at what um, what um, racism and racial equality would look like, given that um, the 20th century is a story of securing legal um, equality. Yeah. And the 21st century is a story, it would appear, of going, that's excellent. The, the remaining 20% is the kind of cultural equality. I had no idea. Um, I had no idea there were so many Confederate statues left in the U.S. I had no idea. It is crazy. It <laughs> right? is that's, nuts. And, and, that's, and if you take all the anger and, um, and blatant manipulation, and we'll come back to it, but if you take it all the way, what you're actually seeing there is a really good discussion. I did genocide studies at university, and... Uh, the Germans, unsurprisingly, are quite good at this in the sense of how do you commemorate an event without putting a statue of Goebbels up? Like yeah. how do you how do you um, commemorate a grandfather who fought for your country, but he's also guess what? He's the, he's a bad guy. Like yeah. how, how do you do that? So they've had sixty oh, so years to, to work out how to commemorate events and remember the past without lionizing stuff that isn't correct anymore, right? And and funny enough, you can see if you look at it glass half full, that's a that's a really good thing for a culture to go through, and it is associated with this kind of fourth turning or whatever you want to call it. So that part is quite encouraging. Right, I the would stuff, agree with that. The stuff on top of it, um, and this comes back to poor decision. Like you, your amygdala is impaired, so you make poor decision making. There, there may be neo-Nazis or Nazis in the country, but it is a tiny fraction of the population, and we're looking for them under our beds now. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and that is that's by design. So what they're doing there is making you scared and angry, and 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 it reduces your decision-making ability and and cohesion right across the population. And people will turn around and ask for a police state, and and that's I suspect the goal on both. So however much of this is engineered, and, and at least some of it is. Well, worse than that. So what you'll do now is um, they'll it'll kind of be a Patriot Act 3.0 where the um, well, uh, Catherine Fitz calls it free-range totalitarianism, but what we're going to see now is the, the inability to um, function as you previously had in digital systems and, and rights of assembly and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, not only are they going to go away, people will cheer when yeah. they go away. Yeah. I, think that, I think that's the goal of the parts of it. Some, Not all of it, obviously. I mean, people are genuinely, there are real racists and there are real people who correctly find racism disgusting. I, I'm not so, one of them. Yeah, I'm yeah. So like parts of it are real, but just because part, like more than one thing can happen at once, which is um, it's very, very easy and tempting if you are that powerful to um, to weaponize in, and, and then fragment a population so that it turns around and asks for things that 
with clearer minds they would never ask for. It is so interesting. We, you know, we have a lot of crisis actor people get busted with crisis actors uh you know false flags we talk you know we see that a lot out here and it just it is so interesting how they're you know to keep us safe and keep our freedoms people want to give up all these amazing freedoms and uh real quick we'll move on to some uh your thoughts on have you heard of this bill that they're they're trying to pass where if you uh participate or call for a boycott of Israel, it is yeah. uh, it is punishable by twenty years in jail and a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine. And there are U.S. politicians, and this has nothing to do with my opinion of Israel. I'm very close with uh, you know. You always gotta make this this kind of this warning or this like I have very close friends of mine who are Israelis and who are Jews, and this has nothing to reflect on them. This has to do with me, in my opinion, a deep state move to protect a uh, a, a group of uh, apartheid people, and not everybody in Israel yeah. is a part of this. Okay, but there no, are no. But uh, you can talk about Israel as a government. So I'm part Jewish, so I'm you know at worst only part anti-Semitic. If you're going to get those comments, um, <laughs> look, yes, uh, it's a it's actually a federal um, it's it's a legal position that is incorrect and idiotic for the US that you can uh, take high federal positions and be a citizen of another country. This, so you have these Democrats who are worried about the illusion of Russian influence on the US. In the meantime, you have dual Israeli American citizens like in, in positions of power in your government. And not even, you know, Vladimir himself is stupid enough to do that. Yeah. If you want if you want like a high position in Russian office, guess what? You have to be a Russian. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> it, but just the fact that and, politicians would pass a law that their own citizens could spend 20 years in jail. And you're talking fines. Yeah. You're talking years that are associated with murder, rape, you know, violent crimes, and you could spend for criticizing a foreign government and not want to participate. The, the in... trouble is, it's not foreign. This is the point. You have Israeli citizens who are U.S. citizens who ah. are in the federal government. Like that's that policy needs hmm. to change, and it won't. Um, it's it's a disastrous law. It's horrifying. Uh, it it's. The, the slow motion genocide that uh, Israel as a government is is perpetuating is is a um, you know a slow motion war crime, and uh, and you can't say that anymore, and that's really bad. That's not a good situation. It is it is you tragic, know. and it's very scary. And a lot of the stuff that goes on, Charlottesville, Charlottesville, okay. When that stuff is happening, you're wondering what's really going on behind the scenes because it's so, I mean, it's, it was so well shot. That's the thing that drove me that, crazy. When, <laughs> How, like, these amazing, you got drones everywhere, like, IMAX filming going on. Like, yeah. none of this filming is from phones. It's all from high-end cameras. And you're like, okay, this is going, what's, like, this eclipse here today, which is amazing. But I'm wondering, what shady shit's going down as everybody's on the Weather Channel watching this eclipse going down? It, it makes you really wonder, man. Well, I when it was happening, uh, that was my first thought too. Especially as if you look at um, and they look like military boys, the the ones that in the shirts with the little tiki lambs. Which, by the way, as you say, it's so well shot. You go look at that that really soft orange glow they've managed to get. They managed <laughs> yeah. to capture with their DSLRs and, yeah. and the angles. Yeah, you look at it and go, this is. Um, 
that part of it at least is patently an op um as to however many of the people um it's it, again we have to kind of do the the hand waving uh it's not that racists don't exist and it's not that racists are you, you know aren't amassing in in groups and stuff they appear to be that's that that's a thing right right so and and is gross and it is you know but yes so again you kind of need a heuristic i think and it comes with reducing your exposure to social media so the the charlotteville example is a good one where you get the news that an event is happening and then step the fuck away from twitter <laughs> come yeah. back in tomorrow because all the stuff that happened the other part that i thought was interesting when our perspective is the millions of times uh Photos from previous events were retweeted as if they were it, uh, as if they were part of the event. And you go, see, uh, this is how this is how the digital platform works with it because it, you're talking about a couple of hundred people on either side at, at standing in front of this statue, right? But in the meantime, the impact across the population of the world, but also the other 330 million people uh, in the U.S. Um, is magnified. That's why it looks like an op. They've they've sort of worked out how to fly the spaceship and make the country feel what it what, what they want them to feel uh, and you fortunately the good news is you have the power of stepping the fuck away from that there is no extra knowledge you gain of a situation by staring at twitter for nine hours a day no i uh, totally agree there's with that. like literally no extra knowledge so it, it doesn't mean ignore the news because that's the other thing people will say it's like well easy for you to say and i'm like yeah clearly it is but uh I'm still correct that staring at Twitter <laughs> for nine hours a day yeah. is going to make the situation worse rather than better. You know, there was an old saying, never trust anybody over 30. It was way back in the hippies. I really honestly believe, I, unless I personally know you, I won't listen to anybody with a blue check by their name on Twitter. I, I don't know who you are. I, I go, you have 100,000 followers. I don't know. I mean, like, I know guys who are at the top of my profession, stand-up comedy, they have 100,000 followers. This person I've never heard of in my life has a check and has 200,000 followers. Uh, you know, somebody wants to come on our podcast is David Deary. He always wants to talk about Cambridge Analytica. Have you heard of this? No. And that's kind of along the lines of what we're talking about, this kind of manipulation of emotions through social media, again, astroturfing and all that stuff. Um, they're just It's such a better platform for it. I mean, it, it's not even like this is speculation. This is provably what uh, newspapers and then broadcast television was used for in the 20th century, provably what it was used for. And this is so much better because you have it in your hand for nine hours a day. One third of people in, uh, it's a bit under one third of people, I used to work in digital media, as I said, in the US, have the phone in their bed with them when they go to sleep. So yeah. you have a surveillance device that is used to manipulate population's emotions um, that you sleep with. Like in, in, in Alan Dulles's wildest dreams, he could not have had a population <laughs> manipulation platform of such power. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is put the fucking phone in the next room. Yep. Like that's the actual good news is you go, oh, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put it down. This is the post digital. Put it down, this put is the return of the Put it in another room. Yeah. You should have a room with no electronics in it. 
There should be yep. just a room where you got books. That's it. No televisions. No, no, uh, nothing. No blenders. They can listen through the blender. How long till they're, you know, your your kid's toy? It's unbelievable. But let's, let's all, all this is super fascinating. But I know within a matter of moments, Sam's going to talk about Russian hacking, no. DNC, and Hillary. No. And <laughs> no, no, so no. Um, <laughs> earlier you mentioned Gobekli Tepe. And yep. those that are informed about it, I mean, Graham Hancock, that's, uh, that's amazing. You know, like the fact that your work has overlapped with his. And to those that don't know, would you be able to tell us about your experience with him and whatnot and all your... With Graham? Yeah. Um, I I don't know him that well. We've spoken a few times. I've mm-hmm. been... Um, uh, I was one of his authors of the month, and he's read Starships uh, and so on. But um, for the Gobekli Tepe research, I didn't... Uh, that wasn't like a joint project or so on. But um, we've been to places like Nan Madol yes, um, at the much. same time. Could you tell, uh, could you tell us about Nan Madol? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, Nan Madol is one of my favorite places on earth. It's a, uh, it's a um, sunken city of the dead stretched over 11 square kilometers, 11 square miles actually of a reef in uh, in Micronesia. Really? And, uh, yeah, and it's built, it's called the Venice of the Pacific. And uh um, some of the logs, it's built out of prismatic basalt logs, uh, and some of them are over, some of them are over 60 tons, and there aren't cranes on the island today that can lift them. So uh, Unbelievable. In uh, One of the things I like about it, so in, in Chaos Protocols, I have a chapter called Becoming Invincible, which is how you operate in this world. The first thing you need to do is have an event, you know, how we're using words like paranormal and whatever, and, and even though the words are problematic, we know what we're talking about. You have to have an event of such... Uh, of sufficient extremity that there's no getting the toothpaste back in the tube after it. So the examples I give in the book are like if Discovery Channel's done like a haunting show in your house, you should be fine. If you've been abducted by aliens, you should be fine. Um, But if not, you need to go and become invincible. You need to have an event that makes you realize beyond the shadow of a doubt, just feel it, that when you die, it's not the end. And um, Gobekli, Te- oh, no, Gobekli Tepe, Nanmadol is one of those where it is literally a sunken city of the dead that you can walk around that shouldn't be. It's like an octoparrot. Like, this can't exist, and nevertheless, you can you can walk around it. I was there in January, and uh, uh, it's one of those few places left in the world that you go, I, like... Uh, I'm done. I can't, <laughs> I can't find a way of modeling this with, with, with original history. Uh, and I love it. I think it's this, it's this profound and, and fascinating place. And it's an instant, like, it's archaeological evidence of a, of a contact event, if you will, in the sense that it can only be real, which it is, if there is some sort of extra dimensional or, or spirit uh, component in its construction and operation. Okay. That's um, how old so, do they think it is? Oh no, it's it's not even that old. Like it's well, it's a thousand years old. Um, <laughs> uh, Still, yeah. Well, the the um, the antiquity of it isn't it's uh, isn't the source of its sort of like anomalies. It's the fact that you've that here is a reef, and they built with a population that. Um, was would require a population much much larger than the island they built this reef dedicated to this kind of snake spirit that showed up with these two mysterious brothers and you can't build it today you can't build it today and also all the um the basalt well 80 percent of the basalt came from the other side of a very mountainous island uh and it's ringed by mangroves so what how did they get them there and the stories of how they got them there were that wizards flew them over so uh there's no part of the story that doesn't um 
doesn't break reality. And you can learn about it, and that can be inspiring. But if you're looking for that becoming invincible experience, uh, I would recommend that. I would recommend walking around Gobekli Tepe. Oh, Fascinating. Uh, I yeah. first heard of you. I was turned on to you by Greg Carlwood from the Higher Side Chats. Mm -hmm. And uh, likely, I was also turned on to John Brandenburg. And I was just mm -hmm. wondering, to those that don't know anything about it, would you be able to elaborate on some of the information? I'm, yeah, yeah. Um, I've interviewed Dr. Brandenburg for uh, Skeptico. He's a plasma physicist who... Um, over the course of being involved with, you know, Richard Hoagland's Mars nerds and, and in the 80s and 90s and so on, he's uh, ex-JPL um, and so on, and was one of the people who was aware that NASA has known for quite some time and whoever is, wherever that information goes once it passes through NASA in a human centipede sense, um, that, there are, yeah, that there are some vastly ancient ruins uh, on Mars, but what Dr. Brandenburg as a plasma physicist has worked out is that not only that, they appear to have been bombed uh, 500 million years ago to 250 million years ago with large nuclear weapons, and it was an airburst, which is designed to kill as many people as possible. Oh my and this, God! And this is the, um, the isotopes in the Martian atmosphere can only be, and um, that are associated with these bombs, can only be um, uh, can only be put there artificially and only via weapons. So he's, as a plasma physicist, he's run down all the kind of fission options, all the solar plasma ejector options, and he still is. He still looks at it to try and disprove it. But the reality is it looks like um, not only are there ruins on Mars, they are potentially ruined for a very alarming reason, which is something bombed them from orbit 250 million to half a billion years ago. And does that uh, correlate with any of the extinction uh, periods on Earth? Not really. That's kind of before the dinosaurs. So um, hmm. more interestingly for me, obviously from a magic perspective, is we associate Mars, this little red planet, and obviously you, it looks red in the sky. So there's, there's like a blood and rust, so iron association with it. But isn't it interesting that in the classical world, the planet associated with war is the only one we've seen that appears to have literally been bombed. So <laughs> kind of have, uh, you, you almost have like a Final Fantasy version of it, which is like, what... Uh, what imprint in the spirit world did this leave for humans to start building that story about without an understanding of what a planet is and and so on? How do we associate war and death and, and, and that kind of thing with Mars? And then in the mid 20th century work out, oh, shit, it was bombed. That's that's the kind of spirit world component that I find interesting. This is one of the episodes where I was telling Sam, I was like, the less you know, the better, because I want you just to get your mind blown. And um Writing on the back of the nuclear war on Mars, isn't there stories about children having dreams of this war? Yeah, um, there are. So, uh, well, it's my interpretation that they're having dreams of war. So uh, I kind of, I don't know if you know who um, Jim Tucker is, but he has done many decades of research into um, children having past life memories that they sort of talk about. I think my nephew has, because he insists that he lives, he's lived in Denmark or, um, and he's under four. So uh, over four, they start to fade. Yeah, um, that is, I've heard of that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Dr. Jim Tucker's research is, is one you want to look into there. So I kind of keep my eye in that world. And I found some, it, this, this isn't from Dr. Tucker's research, it was just tangential. 
that there's a um, a couple of kids and one in particular who remembers uh, an incarnation not on this planet and um, describes describes physics components. Again, it's a usual story with past life memories where you go, you have information that a child under four shouldn't have. Uh, and here's we're related to kind of propulsion systems and stuff that makes it look like perhaps um, he is in fact remembering a life on another planet. Uh, and that their planet was torn apart by war and, and, and sort of orbitable bombardment. I said, well, that's interesting because it, it bears a passing match to uh, my interpretation of the Martian ruins. So that would be a kind of example of it, it surviving, that sort of idea of it surviving in the spirit world. There is a famous story about a kid, a young boy that was born, that talked about past life and being murdered, and it all correlates to this woman who, like, lived far away, like a decade before, a decade or two before, who fits the description perfectly. Gordon, do you mind if we call you right back because your screen is uh, frozen? Can we call you right oh, back? Oh, so it is. Yeah, go for it. I'll call you right back because I want to get into this last thing before we end this. All right. There we go. And I know people are like, I know where I'm going to get killed on youtube the the picture's frozen huh i'm like i get it man he was cricking with gas i didn't want to uh i didn't want to uh stop the rock there he is hey there we go sorry about that but that's all right uh, dude not a fault yeah. not a problem uh i know it's a broad question but um do you believe disclosure will happen in our lifetime no <laughs> <laughs> no that one's easy uh i do not uh and if it does, be very suspicious of it, because I think fairly quickly after World War II, the um, how to describe this, the worldview of the people who have as much knowledge as possible is not a little green men one. Uh, the little green men one is, for the most part, an op, uh, and a very good one in the Cold War because you know. It, it it may it could have thought in like can you imagine being in Moscow and finding out that these capitalist pigs have got their hooves on a flying saucer? Um, that <laughs> sounds like that's really good air cover for experimental aircraft testing and so on. That said, obviously the phenomena are real. Um, so if you get disclosure in in a climate like this, be very suspicious of it. Uh, because it's it's not that it's not they they're hiding bodies in an underground base and and actually this is what's going on and and, and so on. But also I don't think they care. I don't think they care what anyone thinks. I don't think um, and it's self-evident over the last 15 years that particularly with the U.S. but just populations in general, they don't care what your opinion is of anything. Uh, they, they don't care. Suits if you go don't to war care. Or they don't whatever. ever care. So off they'll go. Off they'll go. If we're not already multiplanetary, and I think we probably are. Um, I've said that we either haven't yeah. been past the Van Allen belt or we're on every planet in our solar system. Well, and we're I at believe least on Mars. Yeah, we're at least on Mars. And the story of um, our experience with the moon is probably not correct, although we're probably permanently there as well. But um, Mars seems to be the place. And uh, the flying saucer technology is essentially Victorian. Uh, if you look at the fact that it, like the if it's electrogravitic, it means that you have the kind of counter-rotating Tesla stuff. That's literally Victorian technology. So we're 120 years past that. Uh, and if you can get to Mars in what is essentially a steampunk bathtub, <laughs> um, 
imagine where we are now. Uh, anyway, so the point is, I don't think they care. Um, I don't. There's there's no evidence that they will care what you think about anything. Um, so. I don't think they need to sit there and have a serious discussion with the American people about what's going on. That doesn't look like 2017 to me. Agree with and, that. And not to jump around, but we are called tinfoil hat. Uh, we do get a little kooky sometimes and go on the edge of a what's possible. And a lot of things that comes up, we get a lot of people asking us um, about the Queen. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you you've lived in in the UK for a little bit. I know you're not there now, but um, what's uh, the possibility that the Queen? is running this whole global elites. Is that, is there any validity to that? She's not running the globe's elites, but, uh, she is uh, the, the very idea that, um, this, you know, she's just Britain's grandma and, uh, and they, they kind of wheel her out in her expensive hat to open parliament and, and kind of, you know, wander past children's hospitals. This woman, when she ascended the throne in that little red box, her first communiques were about Stalin. She has seen them all off. Uh, she packed out an empire. As far as I can tell in history, she's the only person who's packed out an empire without collapsing the home country. Uh, and she makes her grandson get married on a ritual floor reserved for the ruler of the world. Um, she wanted Brexit, so we got Brexit. She didn't want, which I'm, I'm pro. I'm, I'm anti the. I'm pro Europe, but I'm anti the actual euro as a currency. So I'm kind of fine. Oh, is with that, that New World Order stuff? Is that why? It just doesn't work. It's because it's it's um, it's abandoned up to fifty percent of the youth of Southern Europe to penury and permanent unemployment. Um, it's a harvesting mechanism. Fifty years of Southern prosperity was tipped into Germany. Um, it's disgusting, and I, I find people who are pro euro disgusting because they've abandoned like the youth of Europe. Um, and they, anyway. would that be said for free trade and NAFTA and all that stuff in America? Yeah, it's, it's that. It's it's a very similar um, centralizing process, right? Yeah. So that's fine. Um, but if we go back to the Queen, she got Brexit. Um, she didn't get so. She wanted she Brexit? Wants, oh, yes. Really? Um, look, she's the, like the chief crowned head in Europe. Like, and here are these bureaucrats in Brussels. Um, I'll tell you why. There's going to be a pivot to um, essentially refloating a British empire. This is what I think her play is. I think when you add, and it's called Kanzuk in think tanks. So it's starting to happen. So Canada, Australia, New Zealand, UK. If you add the populations of t- together, it's about half UK, half everyone else. But us out here uh, make more money. If you add the militaries together, because bear in mind, all our ships and all our planes have an R at the front of them, which is royal. Huh. So... The queen is one of the only is the only person on earth, as far as we can tell, who personally has a navy. Like she can ring up, essentially the Australian version of Joint Chiefs, bypassing the prime minister and say bomb Indonesia. Like, she can say that she has the power now. The royal navy? No, no, no. She's never not had it. It's yeah, her navy. right. That's why I'm sorry about that. Yeah. So. Um, the idea that she's a figurehead, it's, it's very convenient for people to, to think that's the case. She's um, like all these people who are that rich. In her case, she is clever, but she's very clever. And people who are that rich and that powerful are very dangerous. And they inevitably get what they want. And I think um, I think uh, manipulating the Scottish independence vote to keep them to stay and Brexit uh, and Trump um, somehow... A part of a long game. Uh, re- yes, she's playing a longer game, uh, and she has to do it while she's alive because she's more popular than her son. Well, all her children are feckless, um, except Anne, I guess. But 
Um, she has to do it while she's alive, hmm. uh, or, or at least start the process. Is she but the like, head of the committee of 300? Um, I think, based historically, I think the Queen... The, the the British monarchy has, like all monarchies, the primary goal is, the first goal is to perpetuate monarchy. So when you become king or queen, job one is to make sure that your kid becomes king or queen. Right. That's it. Job right. one. Right. And then the rest of it, <laughs> the rest of it is kind of, well, what else can I do? Uh, I don't think she runs the world. Um, I don't think she wants to. I think she's one of the most powerful people on earth, but I think she's in it for her and Britain, which is essentially part of her job. Um, but if you look at what Britain's done in conjunction to keeping the UK together and Brexit, uh, it's doubled its military budget. Uh, there are two supercarriers coming online. And I remember this happening in about five years ago. So still in the UK, maybe it was only three or four years ago. All these articles in the newspaper going, we've just spent billions of pounds on these two aircraft carriers that can't even like land our own planes and it was this sort of joke like oh you know government budgets they can't do anything right now i'm like are you serious do you honestly think that you can actually get two ships built for billions of pounds and no one thought yeah when if the planes work on it and then all of a sudden um the the sort of geostrategic situation for britain in the world has changed and theresa may is looking at uh changing military alliances with the us there are overtures already to canada and new zealand to um from a military perspective so somebody's well, playing to so so what you're saying is the relationship between the us and britain militarily could change um, I suspect because the U.S. military situation is going to change, despite what Trump um, is about to say or has said about Afghanistan, the U.S. Uh, in 2016, there were fewer troops aboard, abroad uh, than in any year since 1943. So the U.S. is pulling up the drawbridge, and you see that culturally. Uh, the trouble is the rest of the world runs on the naval guarantee that the U.S. extends, and they're not interested in extending it anymore. And in some respects, that's quite Interesting, interesting. This is straight out of Stratfor. Um, this is the end of Bretton Woods, but this is straight out of Stratfor, so you get the kind of military positioning on it. That's why Trump keeps talking about NATO and them needing to pay their way and so on, because America's economic challenges, so Brazil and China and so on, have been subsidized by the presence of the U.S. Navy keeping things like the sea lanes free. Uh, and, and that's very expensive for you guys. Yes. So the and as you can see with Trump going, everyone else needs to pay their way now. Like the weird thing is, he's actually correct. They fucking should. Like no, one hundred percent. Europe such spent an the interesting last, take on Europe everything. spent the last fifty years getting a free military ride. Um, and here's what here's what gets interesting, right? So the second biggest na navy in the world is Japan. So they probably won't do it. The third biggest is Kanzuk. The third biggest is Canada, UK, Britain. Uh, Australia, New Zealand. So that's interesting. So Brexit, Trump, um, bringing these supercarriers online, and and there is some kind of reposition going on. And the reason I brought the supercarriers up is um, this demonstrates that it's a it's a much longer project because it takes rather a long time to get aircraft carriers into the water. So they've had to have been scenario planning that from a decade before now. <laughs> Man, that and is so all interesting, dude. Show up. So, yeah, this is... The, but you don't get this if you're um, um, tweeting about punching Nazis on Twitter. You're actually seeing a reformulation of the global elite and you're talking about punching Nazis. And that's um, very frustrating That's to me. the whole thing. Gordon, you were uh, excellent. 
I appreciate. Are you going to be in? I know you were in San Diego. And we were supposed to have you on, but I, unfortunately, schedules couldn't make it. Are any trips coming to uh, LA anytime soon? Um, probably, but nothing, uh, nothing this year. But uh, I'll certainly be back. It's a great town. We would uh, love to have you in too. studio. We're going to be starting to do uh, We're With All Things Comedy, and uh, we're doing a lot of more uh, high-end production stuff, and we would love to have you in studio. And they're supposed to build us a set to do a show with Greg. We're working with Greg Carwood on a show. Nice. And we'd love to have you in. This has been one uh, another uh, wonderful episode. I've learned uh, a lot from it. Uh, any final thoughts, Aaron? I mean, uh yeah. Ryan, before then, we'll get there. No, it's been great. It's been an honor to have you on, Gordon. I really appreciate well, it. Well, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And this is everyone's favorite part of the show where Dream Donut Truck sponsors Thoughts, Aaron. Aaron, before we let Gordon go, thoughts on Gordon and what he said. You're, you're in? You're not in? You're nothing? Aaron's gotten gun shy now because he gets a lot of shit on the internet for not having his fucking eyes wide open. Open that third eye, Aaron. It's some deep shit. Gordon, thank you so much for coming on. Anything you want to finally push for our listeners? For, no, to it's check all good. Um, you know, it's, it's a good chat. Rudensoup.com if you want to know more. All right, man. You are a G, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm going to check out. Real quick, oh, so earlier in the game, you said there was a really great book on chaos earlier. It really at the beginning. Oh, uh, it, uh, Besides, dated. Yours. I mean, it's it's a mathematics book by James Glake, and it's called Chaos, but it was a classic in the 80s. It's a mathematics um, book, okay. Yeah, yeah. So remember Chaos Maths, and it was big at the time, and it, then you had Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park a few years later and all that. So that was kind of in the air in the 80s. Perfect. Gordon, thank you so much for uh, getting up early and uh, you know joining us in, on the show. Thank you for coming on Tinfoil Hat, and we look forward to hopefully doing it again down the line. You're very welcome. Thank you so much, buddy. Your man, take care. Thanks, Gordon. Gordon White, everybody. Uh, all right, man. What a fun episode. I know we got to get out of here soon, Aaron, but real quick, um, let's get into some of these. What We want to talk about this real quick. Yeah, sure. If you guys notice up there in the front, well, those on YouTube, those that are at home, uh, we've gotten something sent to us. They're a bunch of magic sauce and magic spices by a company called Prozers. He uh, hit us up on the Instagram, and he's like, I want to send you some good shit. So, uh, yeah, we appreciate it. Check them out at prosersspice.com. That's P-R-O-S-S-E-R-S-S-P-I-C-E.com. We love it, man. Thanks a lot. And if you want to send us stuff while we're growing, get us now. Uh, we have an address to send to. Where yeah. would you send to? be Sam Tripoli, courtesy of Tinfoil Hat. It's going to be 8433 Sunset Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90069 anything you want to push any uh, type of products you know right now we're just uh, floating like a pirate ship uh, sam wears an extra large i wear a large um we'll wear your shirts yeah. we'll push your product that's what we're doing aaron did you not enjoy that i thought it was a wonderful conversation i definitely enjoyed it he's got a great voice and he sounded his setup was beautiful does does uh, a british I australian don't... accent make it sound more legit oh like, yeah it oh, certainly it's does. gotta be certainly does yeah we, we sound um, like a bunch of bumpkins I don't feel like I understand anything more about magic. Uh, <laughs> Three books, Amazon.com, RuneSoup.com. I know, but he just he never really quite explained. Well, I, I don't, I don't know if this. we gave him the opportunity because we had a lot of stuff we wanted to talk to, and I, I didn't want to go too much into magic because I did want to get into you know Mars and the shape shifting lizard people that I think the royal family <laughs> is. You know, that's my opinion. I did want to know if. If the queen eats corgis on a nightly, like 
you know, I think she's I did. I mean, like, well, he brought up some amazing points, dude, you know, and like stuff that we as Americans living in this bubble don't always necessarily get to hear. And that is the reformation. Yeah, I would have liked to heard more about I'm going to Europe. I would have liked to hear more about the Europe and how it had the euro and how it is affecting everyone. Okay. Yep. No, that's but surprisingly I mean, enough. That's uh, not what the show's about. Yeah. Tinfoil hat. We have a big following in Australia and in Ireland and in the UK. So it's really cool to get a voice from kind of both worlds. It yeah. is. It's now we read. And before we leave, we do everyone's favorite reading. We're doing the uh, LA Speedweed, speedweed.com for all your speedweed needs. Reading your iTunes. Uh, you want to start off right here, Aaron, sure. and read up. I mean, excuse me, Ryan. Oh, I've good. done it twice. All white guys look the same. Punch drunk sports. It's all been <laughs> chaos. The podcast gets better and better as time goes on. There aren't a lot of podcasts that dare to touch on some of the subjects that they do. It's a great listen for the veteran conspiracy theorists, a.k.a. critical thinkers. Hey, there's a, that's the term we should use. Yes. Or for some just starting up to wake up with what's questioning and going around them. I always make it a point to tune in, keep them coming. I love it. From uh, Christine, Kristen, and 39. 39er, then that was conspiracy Theorist, Conspiracy Podcast, five stars. Next one's Brilliant by Mommy Maine. This podcast is absolutely brilliant. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10, homeboy. Yeah, if you guys are on iTunes, give us five-star reviews. We're trying to get up to 1,000. That makes a big deal in the algorithm, how we can get sponsors and all that good stuff. Love the content. Five stars by Roguru. Not the name for you to read. Wish the episodes <laughs> were longer and less rushed. Also, the flat earth people can stay home and never be mentioned again. Hey, dude. You know, people. I'm in the. I'm into. Uh, uh, I'm into. Uh, what's the theory? Simulation theory. Hey, we'll get into go. that. That's one we gotta do very and soon. And the last one by mm -hmm. Dub Trubs. Mad props. Five stars. The more minds, the, the more mind the seeds of knowledge can be sown in the better. Independent investigation of truth is so important, and I appreciate open minds like y'all. That keep riding the waves toward truth and understanding. Also, Mr. Liff definitely needs to make an appearance. Who's Mr. Liff? I don't know. Who are you, Mr. Liff? Who Get at us. Who is Mr. Liff? We don't know. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram. Let us know. Because I've seen Mr. Liff before. I think this is a guy who comments on YouTube. Guys, if you want to see this show, if you're listening, you're like, oh, I'd love to see what everybody looks I want to see Gordon White's sexy-ass face, right? Oh, yeah. You go to YouTube.com backslash Sam Tripoli. And uh, check it out. Subscribe and uh, love the comments. We love the comments. I love that people go to war on the comment section. Now, if you're always commenting negative, I don't need to hear it. I, I'm I'm totally open to, you know, critical analysis and be like how the show could be better or maybe this show wasn't the best or that. I'm, but if you're always showing up super negative all the time, it's just it's not worth it. I, we don't need to hear from. I I want to hear your thoughts, both positive and negative. I don't call them trolls anymore. I call them ravens because uh, uh, a bunch of ravens is called an unkindness. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Murder Aaron, of crows. You, you an look like you want to say something. Oh, I was gonna say I thought uh, you guys are purveyors of alternate thought. I love that. I love mm -hmm. that. Purveyors of alternate. We got to write these down. We got a couple of them. Uh, Aaron is going to be gone for the next two episodes. He's going to be going on his honeymoon. We wish you nothing but happiness. Thank you. Uh, I hope you get her, you know, your lady pregnant before Ari and Teeb try to do it. That's another podcast. But we wish you nothing but safe travels. Aaron, you will be missed. Do you know who will be joining us? Uh, we're working on that. Okay, God, there better be a show. We got two good ones next week. Uh, we are closed 
for Labor Day. Which, which is, is what day? Two weeks from today. Okay. Oh, fuck. So we got to reschedule some people. Yeah. All right. Well, when are you going to tell us this, you motherfucker? Uh, today. Yeah, hit, okay. us, hit us up <laughs> with any suggestions of guests or topics on tinfoilhatpod at gmail.com. We love it, all the contents you guys are sending us. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this is uh, this has been Tinfoil Hat. Hope you guys enjoyed the eclipse. And we will see you next week. Tell your friends, spread the word, and thank you for all the Crab Feast people tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode, this episode and the episode of Crab Feast that just dropped. Thank you guys so much. Take care. Holla at your boy.